well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be uh, taking a look at what is going on in Richmond, Virginia, where although Democrats have just a one-seat majority in the uh, House of Delegates and the State Senate, they are acting like they have a supermajority. They're also acting like they're from Sacramento, quite frankly, or maybe Albany, passing all kinds of uh, gun control legislation. 47 gun control bills, I believe, introduced in Virginia this year. And Philip Van Cleve of the Virginia Citizens Defense League says, Unlike a lot of past sessions where, you know, you'll see maybe a half dozen or even a dozen or so gun control bills introduced, most of them stall out in committee. That is not happening uh, this year. You've got Democrats marching in lockstep against our right to keep and bear arms. We'll talk with Philip Van Cleve here in just one moment. Also coming up on today's program, we've got a uh, recidivist report for you. Well, not really a true recidivist report, but one heck of a uh, one heck of a sentence for a Texas man who was convicted of shooting at his neighbor. Also, a armed citizen story for you from Philadelphia and a good deed of the day from the Peachtree state of Georgia. But uh, before we get to those stories, let's talk about what is going on in Richmond this session with Phil Van Cleve of the Virginia Citizens Defense League. Take a look and a listen. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. I really appreciate it. And uh, first of all, before I even ask you a question, uh, thank you for all of your activism, all of the work that VCDL members and the volunteers are doing this year, because, I mean, as you said in your alerts, this is a session really unlike any other that we've seen in Virginia in recent memory. No, uh, there, there are no there are no moderates uh, on the uh, Democrat side to help help us in the fight. They're all gone. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's what's amazing. You know, I mean, I'm obviously covering, uh, you know, legislative sessions all around the country. We're watching what's going on in New Mexico, for example, where Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham had this, you know, extensive anti-gun agenda. And we're seeing Democrats, look, they're passing some of these bills, but they're watering them down. The bills that are passing on party lines in Virginia this year, they're not being watered down. I mean, they are 120 proof infringements on our right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, they're they're not... They're not even trying to hide, uh, you know, what they're up to. Um, virtually um, all of the gun bills that, that were in there that we supported, are, are, except for like one, which is a minor, very minor thing, are all gone. They killed them all. And uh, everything that they wanted, there's going to be very, I think maybe I was going to check to see what happened yesterday, but I think one or two of their bills got d 6 uh, but I want to verify that. I believe the one, well, I'm not sure yet. I think one of them might have been 18 to 20-year-olds purchasing a gun or something like that may have gotten deep six. I'll, I'll double check that. Okay. Yeah. But because that's not the, much. That, that leaves like 40-something bills. <laughs> I mean, right, exactly. And and this is the problem. So crossover deadline, bills having to get out of their house of origin, That was was that yesterday? That was yesterday. Yesterday was the last day for them to consider their own bill. Today begins looking at each other's bills. Okay, so uh, Senate's looking at House, House is looking at Senate. Yeah, and so I think you have to consider that every one of those bills that made it to crossover, you know, the House bills made it to the Senate, the Senate bills that made it to the House. These are all live threats to gun owners. Now, I know that yeah. we've got Governor Glenn Youngkin. I know that in his State of the Commonwealth address, he said that Virginia already has. Uh, tough gun laws that he wants to see a focus on, you know, increasing the penalties for committing crimes. He wants to work on the mental health system in this uh, state. Um, but that is, I, listen, I, I like Governor Youngkin. I think he's been a good governor so far. But 
there's no guarantee that he's not going to sign one of, or more of these bills if they get to his desk. Right. Exactly. So uh, exactly. So, so there's no, no guarantee. We'll we'll know more in a little while, but right now we don't know much. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I mean, his governor's office has been playing it pretty close to the vest. They've reminded reporters of his comments during the State of the Commonwealth address, but they've said we'll consider, you know, basically every bill on its own uh, when it gets here, if it gets here. What are the bills, Phil, that you are most concerned about? Now, again, we're talking about forty plus pieces of legislation here. So even even the 30th, uh, you know, most concerning bill is still going to be really concerning for gun owners. But what are the ones that you think are the most egregious attacks on our Second Amendment rights this session? Well, we've got uh, HB2 and SB2, which uh, seem to, you know, it's, that, I think they may have picked those numbers on, in, on by intention. They're trying to turn us into California. And if you remember, I think it was SB2 in California that was this massive attack on gun rights. All the places you basically they made the whole state a gun-free zone yep. as far as carry. You know, then that got a lot of that got overturned. But that was SB2 there. And guess what? Our SB2 uh, gets rid of uh, you can't legally own an assault weapon made after July 1 of this year. Uh, using their term assault weapon, it's just a right. semi-auto with cosmetic features. And uh, they were trying to say on the floor, well, it's similar to what basically the same thing they passed back in 1994 at the federal level. No, the federal level said uh, a magazine of a certain size with two or more features. This is one or more feature. So a flash suppressor by itself or a threaded barrel or uh, one of those deadly uh, flare launchers uh, that you can put it on. Uh, the uh, we know the grenade launchers are used in crime all the time, right? You oh yeah, sure. Grenade yeah. launcher shooting <laughs> bayonets, so, yeah. Any of that stuff, yeah, bayonets. You know, all of that stuff uh, is, is so they 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 change the standard. This whole idea of always oh, the same baloney, it's not. So that's one. It also would get rid of magazines made after July one that hold more than ten rounds. Now, how they're going to know? How anybody's going to know? They don't think this stuff through. I don't think they care. They just want to. Throw this stuff out there and say, look what we're doing. Uh, we're destroying your right to self-defense, but they don't want to say that. But that's what they're doing. They had two bills that would have gone after criminals. That would have, If it was a second offense where somebody committed a violent crime, like a bank robbery or a rape or something, where they used a firearm the second time. So they've already been convicted of one time, and they get out of jail and they go right back and do it again. So the Republicans said, fine, now we know what we've got here. It wasn't sort of an odd thing that happened initially. They've repeated it. Right. Uh, so they wanted to make it a mandatory 10 years. And the gun control groups and the Democrats in unison were saying, oh, no, 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 we, we, we don't want to do that. But boy, you know what? We need to go after those concealed carry permit holders. Those guys that only commit crime at the rate or only lose their permits at the rate of one-tenth of one percent. <laughs> we need microscopic numbers. We got to go after those guys, not the guy robbing the bank. We got to go after those law-abiding people that don't commit crime. We want to make it harder for them to get a permit. We want to make it so they can't conceal carry in a restaurant that serves alcohol. By the way, what they actually said in committee was, "Yeah, well, you can just open carry." But what they didn't say was, "There's another bill that says we don't want you open carrying certain types of firearms in public." So you can't conceal carry, you can't open carry. Um, 
it, it's it's in, it's intentional sanity. They they want to disarm us, and crime is the excuse. When they point at somebody like me and you and say we're not trustworthy to carry in a restaurant that serves alcohol, we're not trustworthy to do a whole list of things. You know what this is really about. Yeah. Well, again, uh, turning a blind eye to repeat violent offenders, giving them a pass uh, while cracking down on, you know, folks who uh, and listen, you know, it is already illegal in Virginia to correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's already illegal in Virginia for a concealed carry holder to go into a restaurant where alcohol served and start drinking. Right. That's not allowed. But if I want to take my but if I want to take my family out to eat. And I'm the designated driver. My wife wants to have a cocktail or a beer with dinner, and I'm free to carry a firearm. I don't have to leave it behind in my car where it might get stolen. It's on my person, which, again, gun control activists say they want that, right? Except when they don't, except when they do want us to leave our guns behind. The This is what's been so crazy. And, you know, it's unfortunate that more Virginians are not paying attention to the floor debates. Uh, you know, we're seeing the headlines, we're seeing sort of the legislative wrap up, but you know, this is truly, if you're listening to the debate, this is where you hear some of the crazy uh, arguments in, in favor of these gun control bills. I mean, you had Senator Craig Deeds uh, talking about this semi-auto ban said, well, you know, uh, it's better to use a shotgun. I mean, cause you know, if you use an AR 15, boy, you're just going to lose control. It's going to be flying around everywhere. You could injure your family members. Now, first of all, I mean, that's just absurd on his face. I don't know if Senator Deeds has ever fired an AR-15, but I, I live not I too far from so. Charlottesville. I'd be happy to have him out here and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put him through the, uh, the through the ropes here. But, you know, the other aspect of this, Phil, is that a few years ago, Senator Deeds was one of the Senate Democrats who stopped a semi-auto ban from getting to the desk of then-Governor Ralph Northam. And, you know, talking about how the moderate Democrats are gone the moderate Democrats are either out of office or they've been kowtowed into falling in yeah. line behind this extreme anti-gun agenda. Because, you know, a few years ago, Craig Deeds was one of the, you know, uh, one of the one of the bulwarks against a gun ban. And now he's one of the sponsors of this ban. Yeah, you either you either toe the line or you'll be replaced as uh Chad Peterson found out, and some of the other moderates, uh, they've, 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 you know, you, you either have walked away from being a moderate, or you've been replaced. And that's, uh, by the way, Cray Deeds also said, buy a shotgun. The recoil's far less than an AR-15. <laughs> it was like, what? I, I, there's a great video out there. I don't know if you've seen it, where it shows a bunch of, um, you know, small frame women shooting shotguns and falling over and ah, you know, and then it shows a little a little 14-year-old girl firing an AR-15 bang, 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 bang. And I I'm tempted to send him that video and say, just FYI. <laughs> Not that it would matter, but uh, you know, I, I I'm with no, you. I mean, listen, if I had my choice between, you know, shooting a hundred rounds from uh, an AR or a hundred shotgun shells. My shoulder is going to tell me to pick the AR every time, um, you know, but but again, this isn't about common sense. This isn't about, you know, rationality. This is about, you know, advancing as extreme an agenda as 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 we've seen. I mean, I've been a resident of Virginia since 2004. I've never seen anything like this. These are the types of bills that get introduced in Albany or Sacramento. Um but we don't typically see these types of bills uh, introduced in Virginia, much less advancing, you know, in lockstep on party lines. Um, 
So the Democrats are leaning in. And amazingly, Phil, they've got one seat majorities in the House and Senate, right? So it's not like they have this supermajority that these bills are guaranteed to pass. How much of this do you think is performative on the part of Democrats that they they expect that Governor Youngkin is going to veto some of these bills so they can appease the gun control lobby by by going as extreme as they are? Or is this just an example of Democrats letting their true colors be seen now that they've got majorities in the House and the Senate? Well, they're not afraid to let their true colors be seen. I'll say that much uh, because they are they are pushing this through. Do they do they think it's all going to pass? Probably not. A lot of it's virtue signaling and signaling to their base. But this is dangerous for us. This is dangerous virtue signaling. If any of that becomes law, uh, we're now uh, you know, one step closer to where they're going to have massive noncompliance uh, with, with laws they're passing and maybe protests and everything else. That are, you know, they're, they're walking into dangerous territory. We have a right to bear arms. This is like they're reintroducing slavery. They're going to have pushback if they did that. Uh, so this is this is like that. You're you're going you're 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 about to take you're trying to take away or, or neutralize a, a key uh, civil right protected in the Constitution. Gun, I'm telling you, talking to gun owners, none of them are saying, "Yeah, I'll, I'll comply if they do this." No, you're not seeing that at all. Well, it was what it was four years ago that we had the Second Amendment sanctuary movement sweep across this state. Uh, late 2019, early 2020. And I remember talking to you at the time, uh, you know, we had counties and cities that were introducing these ordinances. VCDO couldn't even keep up with with the list of these, you know, uh, places that were saying, hey, hey, hands off our gun rights. We're going to defend our uh, Second Amendment rights. We're not going to abide by these infringements. None of those ordinances or resolutions have been repealed, right? I mean, we still have uh, those ordinances and resolutions in place, uh, I think, in almost every county, with the exception of, let's say, you know, Fairfax, Loudoun. I'd say 95% of the state has got got. Those. Yeah. So, and we haven't had problems in 95% of the state with local <laughs> gun control even, but right. the other part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the 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 5%, maybe the, the few places where we have had problems, Roanoke, for example, Winchester, for example, VCDL has filed lawsuits, you all have successfully challenged. Uh, these ordinances that have unconstitutionally restricted where we can carry. Um, and, and you've been able to sort of, you know, bring some of those local municipalities to heal. Where do you think gun owners are right now? I mean, obviously, in 2020, there were tens of thousands of gun owners who showed up at the state capitol to send that message of don't pass this gun ban, don't pass these gun control laws. Um, this year, you know, rally, obviously, much smaller. I've talked with uh, folks from other uh, uh, Second Amendment organizations around the country, and I was talking with Zach Ford, for example, from the New Mexico Shooting Sports Association. And he said early in the session he was he was concerned that there was not the level of interest that he expected to see. Now, when I talked with him on Monday, he said that's changed. That gun owners are are now aware of the threats and they are responding. Are you concerned at all that Virginia gun owners are a little complacent that we that we're looking at this and we say, well, we got Yunkin in the governor's office, so we don't have to worry about any of these bad bills becoming law? Or are gun owners are they aware? Are they in contact with their lawmakers? Are they engaged in the process this year? It's a mixed bag. I think a lot of complacency out there, and we've been seeing complacency across the country. I mean, I was on a. Uh, virtual meeting with a lot of my counterparts from across the state, just people uh, changing some notes and 
I was sure hearing an awful lot of, wow, we're seeing some unusual things going on in our legislature, um, and much like we're doing here. Um, these uh, these bills are, it's, it's basically all around the country, but, but I think overall people are complacent. And what you said there saying, well, uh, I don't really have to do much. We've got Governor Youngkin so I can relax. It's, it's always looking for that excuse to relax and not have to get up off your chair. I know everybody's busy. Yeah, inflation's up. We're all trying to make ends meet. But uh, that doesn't stop the General Assembly from taking away our rights. We have to fight for them, no matter what else is going on. But yeah, yeah I'm, you know, we need more people to step up. Uh, Absolutely. I, you know, I, and I, I'm glad that I'm not alone in 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 seeing this. And they, I mean, not that it's a great thing to see, but you're right. You know, look, we have the Bruin decision. That's great. We've got you know a governor like Glenn Youngkin in Virginia who can serve as a backstop for uh, these bills. That's great too. But neither of those things are guarantees that a bad bill doesn't turn into a terrible law. Uh, and once a bad bill becomes a terrible law. It takes money. It takes time to challenge those things in court. And again, we're not 100 percent guaranteed a victory, unfortunately. So no, this is the time to to, you know, head off these infringements right before they get to the governor's yeah. desk, before they have a chance to be signed into law. And of course, you know, again, yeah. we've got a gubernatorial election coming up in 2025. Yes. And, you, you know, if, if Democrats get a trifecta, They'll turn Virginia into East California like that. They've already told us this. Yeah, in all kinds of ways, not just guns, but all kinds of things. Our focus, of course, is guns. But yeah, right. absolutely. Um, they're uh, uh, they're trying to do that. They're, they're not hiding their agenda. It's just, it's just absolutely amazing. But that's that's the uh, that's the road we're going down. And we uh, we we'd best be prepared to stop it now. Um, you know, the courts have been kind of seeing things more our way, which is good. But still, like you say, it takes money and it takes time uh, to stop these things. And, you know, in fact, I, I was so frustrated with the fact that they, the Democrats don't care about the Constitution. And they, they don't even hide that anymore either, you know. But I, when, I, when I spoke in front of the uh, uh, fire, uh, actually it was the Public Safety Committee in the House, I said, you need to put a sign on the door before people come in this room. Constitution-free zone. You know, gosh, <laughs> I bet they didn't like that too much, but uh, it's true. The look on their faces was good. Hey, I'm just calling it like I see them. Yeah, they don't yeah. care. They, they, they don't. But gun owners need to care, and we need to be engaged. We need to be involved. When does the um, so crossover was yesterday? When when is signy die? When does the session end this year? The, the ninth of March. Ninth of March. So uh, as soon as the first gun bill, now keep in mind, a lot of people are a little rusty on their civics. Some people thought that when a bill passed the House and Senate, that now it was on the governor's desk. No. Uh, first one body passes the bill, and then it doesn't do anything until it goes to the other body and goes through their entire system. If they both agree that this is a good bill and pass it, then it goes to the governor's desk. So the governor is probably not going to see the first gun bills landing on his desk until probably next week, at, you know, at the earliest. Um, and then uh, certainly before March 9th, when they go see me day. Now, what if the, if the bill gets to his desk early enough, I think he I think he has like 10 days to veto sign or speed or sign the bill. He's got to take some action or he could take no action, which is the same as signing it, basically, except he doesn't put his signature on it. 
But most of the bills that come in after a certain date, and I don't know what that date is on the top of my head, will he'll have till April uh, to sign or veto. So he's got we've got a long time. He's got all all of March and into like halfway into April uh, before uh, he has to make a final decision. And then the veto session reconvenes in April just for a day or two when the General Assembly decides what they're going to do with every bill that the governor vetoed, whether they want to override. And I will say this, if the governor vetoes these gun bills, they will not have enough votes, even close enough yeah. votes to override it. So if he vetoes it, it's dead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that is important to note. Um one of the concerns that I have, you know, you talked about how Democrats, if they get a trifecta in government, they won't just be going after our gun rights. And this is one of the things that I've seen floated in the state over the past couple of weeks, the idea that uh, Democrats are using these gun control bills as a bargaining chip. Uh, you know, the governor wants to get a money for an arena in Northern Virginia for the Washington Wizards to play in. Uh, he's got some of his, you know, his own agenda that he wants to get through the Democrat controlled legislature. And, you know, there have been, again, a lot of talk that the uh, the Democrats are, are going to try to hold the governor's feet to the fire that, well, if you want that money for your arena, <clears throat> you better put pen to paper on some of these gun control bills. Do you think that can impact the timing of when these bills get get passed? Because if the votes are there, if all the Democrats march in lockstep, they can get any and all of these bills um, out of the, the legislature and to his desk. But again, you know, if they want the governor, if they're trying to twist his arm to sign these bills in exchange for, you know, funding for uh, for this arena and some of the other things that he wants, it seems to me like the, the, the timing is going to be important of when these bills actually pass and when they get to his desk. Yeah, uh, that's that's the wild card, too. Yeah, the, the timing's there and the fact that they, they want to leverage this stuff. So those people that are just blindly saying, well, the governor will veto all this. They're not cranking in the, the entire formula here. Um, and he may well, hopefully he will stand strong and say, you know, you know, I'm, I've got to do, I've got to protect the constitution and the citizens of this state. So I'm going to veto all these. If you're going to kill the arena because I'm stopping unconstitutional bills, well, then so be it. But, uh, you know, yeah. so I don't, but I don't know what's, we can't count on it. Uh, the, the interesting thing, too, is how the Democrats are, and you, you hinted at this, how the Democrats are acting like they have a mandate. They squeaked in one seat in each house. There were some really tight races. Oh, yeah. Squeaked in, and now they're acting, they're acting like they've got a, a, you know, a two-thirds majority mandate that people rushed them in. And if you watch the, the, the election, especially in Central Virginia, they weren't talking much about guns when, during the last election. It was abortion. Mm -hmm. And in fact, even the Bloomberg sponsored commercials were screaming abortion, abortion, abortion. Um, oh, and guns. That's kind of how I, when I watch the commercial. That's, that's the impression I walked away from. So they could say, well, we, you know, we, we, we ran on guns. But now that's not what gave them their, their, I, that's not, it wasn't gun control that got them in office. No, it wasn't. And, and, you know, I mean, to that end, they're still, I think, um, using abortion to, uh, to 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 scare their base. There was a bill that was introduced, I think, by oh, yes. uh, Delegate Griffin. Uh, and he says, listen, the bill that I introduced was flawed. I'd like to make some changes. The Democrat said, no, we're not going to let you. In fact, we're going to bring this bill to the floor and force uh, Republicans yeah. to vote on this bill. Right. Because uh, it doesn't have exceptions for rape or incest. It you know, doesn't have all of these things that uh, that Griffin said he wanted to add in. 
They didn't give him the chance to do so. So they bring this up for a vote on the floor. Uh, I think there were three Republicans who voted for it. You know, it was, it was basically a, a almost unanimous defeat for that legislation. But they're still running on abortion because they know that that is something that motivates their base, frankly, more than gun control. Um, so they'll well, use that issue. Right. And then they'll drag these gun control bills along once they've got these narrow majorities. Um, now, again, th- that that's maybe a little bit far afield from single issue organizations like VCDL, but it is definitely something that I think the Republicans need to keep in mind as we head into the next election cycle, um, that, you know, this is one of those wedge issues. And if you want a majority, this is one of those uh, issues where I think you've got to be smart. And I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure that that was the case for uh, every Republican candidate in uh, 2023, unfortunately. But again, as I say, this may be a little bit far afield. We take no, no position on abortion. But uh, but I see no problem in also pointing out the facts that that was clearly the what they they were putting the money in. I mean, it's certainly in Central Virginia. Oh yeah, checking in other places that seemed to be that was the big push. Yeah, um, and they uh, Bloomberg knew that uh, the voters that support what he what was being pushed in there tend to vote Democrat, and therefore that would pull along his gun agenda. I don't know what his position is on abortion, but I know what his position is on guns. And if he saw something like that that he felt would help him move that agenda across, as you know, then I, he would absolutely take advantage of it. There's no doubt in my mind that he would do whatever he had to do to get the people elected to push his gun, gun confiscation agenda. Yeah, we saw that last year. I think we're going to see it again next year, too. And, uh, you know, you've got uh, legislative seats up for grabs. Um, all right. So, Phil, last question for you. I mean, what what is your advice for gun owners right now? Where should we be uh, directing our communication? Should we be talking to our House and Senate members? Should we be contacting the governor's office already? Where, where should we be putting our time and attention? We're going to uh, have a, a major push to contact the governor's office just as soon as the first bill hits his desk. OK. Uh, and, it's a, and it's a reality. Right now, it's a little premature. So, uh, I mean, you, you know, feel free to do what you want. If you want to do the contact the governor, I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying BCDL on VA alert, our email system will coordinate that. I will also say that we've got 10,000 postcards going to gun shows that are all going to go to the governor. So if you're at a gun show, go by the BCDL booth and pick up a, a, one of the postcards. Uh, they'll be at the gun show starting, I think, next week. So, okay. Um, and say for most of the bills we have until April before uh, they're going to be signed. We have a few that may come in before then. We'll, we'll see how this pans out. But uh, but then we'll have a big push electronically and phone calls and everything else. Just uh, again, we have no reason to think the governor won't veto this stuff, but right. we also don't have firm proof he will. So it doesn't hurt to uh, make just a reminder that we are. It's important to us. We're watching this. You know, please do the right thing and veto all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, thank you to all of the VCDL uh, volunteers who are staffing the booths at these gun shows uh, all across the state. Uh, you know, the 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 power of this movement really is from individual gun owners working together. And I think the VCDL is a great example of what can be accomplished when that happens. So, Phil, thank you so much for your time. Again, thank you to all of the VCDL members for all of their hard work. I would encourage folks go to VCDL.org. If you're a Virginia gun owner, sign up for the email alerts. Um, they're putting them out on a regular basis. Phil does a great job of explaining, you know, where bills are, what's moving. 
again, we get the sort of, you know, firsthand accounts when you're in committee hearings and you you can tell us, you know, what went down and some of the asinine comments that were made. So it is a fantastic resource for gun owners, really not just in Virginia, but all across the country. If you're a Second Amendment activist, vcdl.org. Phil Van Cleve, thank you again for all of your efforts. I always enjoy spending some time with you, and I'm glad you could join me on the program today. Yeah, thank you, Ken. I always love coming on. My thanks to Phil for joining us on the program today. And uh, But just a programming note, tomorrow we're going to be talking with Rob Doerr from the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. The session is just underway there in Minnesota, and we are already seeing similar bad bills, including a sweeping gun ban that has uh, been introduced this week. So we'll get an update from uh, Rob coming up on tomorrow's Cam and Company. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day. And as I said, not a true recidivist report, but still eh, worth talking about here. Here's the headline from the CBS affiliate in Austin, Texas. Elgin man gets probation for shooting at neighbor over a loud music dispute. Yeah. For firing shots at his neighbor, according to uh, reports, William Rolando Rivera, 51 years of age, was convicted by a jury of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, which is a second degree felony. He apparently uh, shot at his neighbor during an argument in April of 2022. According to court documents, Rivera fired multiple shots at his neighbor while the victim stood behind his backyard fence. The neighbor told police that Rivera had been washing his car in his driveway Neighbor asked him to turn down his music, but the uh, incident escalated into an argument when Rivera retrieved a handgun from his vehicle and then fired at the man, who was thankfully able to take cover and wasn't injured. Rivera was arrested the same day. They found uh, three shell casings from Rivera's driveway, located the handgun inside the home. And again, a jury of Rivera's peers convicted him of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, which is a second-degree felony. But according to the Travis County District Attorney's Office, the sentence of seven years of incarceration that was handed down by the jury is instead going to be three years of probation. Yeah, how about that? You know, we keep hearing all the gun control activists in Texas, oh, we don't have enough gun laws on the books. Yeah, I think you do. I think the problem is you've got, uh, you know, situations like this in Austin, Texas, where somebody's convicted of a violent crime and receives a slap on the wrist as their punishment. Uh, All right, today's Armed Citizen story from Philadelphia, where prosecutors say no charges will be filed in a shooting at the Society Hill Towers apartments, well, because the resident was acting in self-defense. According to prosecutors, the uh, victim in this case uh, was the homeowner uh, in this apartment complex. He shot and killed a uh, a guest of his named Omar Littlejohn, who was apparently armed with a knife and threatened the homeowner. Police said this happened around 8.15 on January 21st. Officers responded to reports of gunfire, and they found Littlejohn suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. He was taken to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Uh, police recovered a gun from inside the apartment. They took the resident into custody at the time. The homeowner who has not been identified because he was the victim in this case, told police that he fired the shots to protect himself after Little John threatened him with a knife. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, it's unclear how the two knew each other and what actually you know prompted the argument that led to the shooting. Uh, but again, police have concluded, and prosecutors are apparently going to go along with this, Larry Krasner doing the right thing for once in Philadelphia, not charging the uh, homeowner with a crime because he was acting in defense of his life. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A a teenager in Georgia 
who helped save the life of two individuals caught in a fiery car wreck in Gordon County. Uh, the uh, teen in question, Cayman Reynolds. It was uh, last month. He was on his way to school. And he said uh, something told him to go a different way than he normally does. He says, I don't know why at the last second I did, but God put it in my heart. He said, I pulled out my phone because I was going to be late. And I wanted to show the teacher this is why I'm late. He uh, shared a four-second long video showing uh, a, a car on its side on a, a rainy street. He said he realized that the people who were standing outside the vehicle were not survivors of the wreck, but they were people who had happened upon the wreck, and they were trying to get those stuck inside the vehicle extricated from the wreckage. Reynolds says he was yelling, help, help, my legs. So I pulled the door off and I grabbed his legs. His quad was torn in half. He's jammed under the steering wheel. So I had to pull him out. Says the man screamed in pain as he was doing so. Reynolds said, it's either this or you burn up in here. You tell me. Then he looked at a second car that was involved in this wreck. He said the cars flipped over, both of them on fire. And that's when he realized that there was a second individual in that other car caught in his seatbelt while the flames are, you know, shooting up here. He said, I saw a wrench. His toolbox fell out. I broke a window, cleared the glass, but I was too big to get in the back window. So I asked the smaller lady, who was about four feet, 11 inches tall, to squeeze in there, undo his seatbelt. And I said, I'll pull him out. Once he extricated the uh, two individuals from the wreckage, he then hopped back in his own car, sped off to school. I hope that he got an excused absence or at least an excused tardiness uh, for uh, his life-saving efforts. Gordon County Schools have applauded his efforts. I didn't even tell folks uh, at the school about the crash the day that it happened, but paramedics apparently told the district about uh, Reynolds' actions. So, again, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing there in Gordon County, Georgia. Cayman Reynolds, we thank you for your very, very good deed. We'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. As I mentioned, Rob Dorr from the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus will be with us on the show. But don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. We're keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. And if you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member as well. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Is our way of saying thanks for showing your support for the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism that we're doing at Bearing Arms. Your support really does matter, and it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.